Our scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Let me share those words with you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They returned to their country by another route. You know, we uh, have sung this morning some great songs talking about the star. And we don't fully understand it. And there's, there's something that we want to look at this morning. We want to look at what it means to celebrate Epiphany. Now, this is a bit of an older term. It's a bit of a churchy term, an ecclesial term, uh, one that we might recognize but maybe not know fully what it is or where it comes from, what the basis of it is. It is a special date for many Christians. It's when people celebrate how the star that we've sung about and saw in this scripture led the Magi, also known as the Three Kings, also known as the Wise Men to visit the baby Jesus after he had been born. Epiphany comes from the Greek word epiphania, meaning to manifest or to show or to reveal. That's very important for us this morning. To manifest or to show or to reveal, as it is when baby Jesus was revealed to the world. There's a couple of things that we want to just note. Epiphany celebrates this revelation or the manifestation of Christ the King to the Magi and ultimately to all of the Gentile world. 
The Magi were not Christians. They were not uh, the children of Israel. They were not Jewish. But as we'll look at in a bit, they had some background. But we notice that when they left Herod, the star went before them, which is another interesting thing. Here you have these wise men, partly because they came from the east, and in some passages they capitalized the east as an indicator that there were eastern schools of, of uh, astrology where they studied the stars constantly. And it is interesting that if you were a student of the stars and you, you understood all there was to know and had this wisdom about how to read the stars, what do you do with a star that actually rests over you and then goes before you? Now that makes no sense to their scientific knowledge because no star does that. You track the star's movement very slowly, but the star's course is determined by something else. Here's a star that is directly leading them and guiding them. And we sing about this beautiful star. To them, it was an amazing thing because it made no sense to all their knowledge. But we'll, we'll uh, look at that a bit further. We think about Revelation so often only about referring to the end times. And in fact, there is a, that, that is part of the whole John writing of the, of the book of Revelation is, is a study of what the end times would be like or will be like. Um, but um, but there, there's something else about Revelation that is important. We have these revelation encounters. We've all had them at some time in our life. Some people call them aha moments. Some people call them God encounters or God moments. But every time these moments happen, we can think about the Magi, who did not have the faith background except for the fact that they did have some knowledge about it. Now, Epiphany falls on January 6th, the 12th day of Christmas, the day we commonly remember as the arrival of the wise men in Bethlehem. Um, but uh, in some countries, uh, it is celebrated almost like Halloween, um, in that people would, uh, over church history, there was a great feast uh, that was was accompanying this big celebration of Epiphany. But uh, eventually the early church celebrated it in such a way that would, they would go out, and, but instead of like Halloween where they would go door to door and ask for food for themselves, they would, people would go door to door and collect food for the needy and the poor. And that was something significant that was different about the way the churches celebrated Epiphany. And so uh, that was an interesting practice that happened for many years. It was, it was a great holiday in the early church, second only to Easter in importance. The third great feast was Pentecost, and then another day um, that has in, uh, another day that has decreased in its popularity. We don't hear or talk as much about Pentecost as a great feast and a great celebration of um, now we do we have recognized that the 
the event of the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, in its biblical context, and, and it is something worth celebrating. But we've lost Epiphany as a major time of celebrating. And we want to take some time this morning and look at these, at these three characters uh, because uh, the Magi were something quite unique. The biblical text does not contain direct information about where they came from uh, as they took the long trip to, to Bethlehem. However, there are some inferences that we can make from the scripture. The fact that they were from the east and from this school where they studied, it was most likely located in Babylon or also um, besides the Babylonian Empire, which took the children of Israel into, into exile, uh, but also the, the Medo-Persian Empire in the same location with the same capital city in Babylon um, was, was also a time of exile for the children of Israel. Interestingly, one of the characters and prophets of those exile years was the prophet Daniel. And Daniel was not only rose to significance within the government, but he was an, a, a, a student of history and a student of Jewish law and Jewish understanding and Jewish faith. He understood the scriptures extremely well about prophesying a savior will come. Someone that will change the world. Someone that will change all of the ways we think about life and about government and the ways that we think about who God is to us. Somebody that will reveal himself in a powerful way. This prophesied Messiah had been taught and the, the, the understanding is that these wise men would have heard from all of the teaching of these Jewish leaders that scripture, those scriptures, and that prophetic word that there would be a savior coming. And so it is a powerful thing because most of us are not just going to hear something and then orient the next how many months. The, the location of, of the difference between where they likely came from in Babylon and Bethlehem was approximately 2,700 kilometers. If you travel by camel and horses, you would probably go about 30 kilometers a day, tops. And so essentially, it would, take, would have taken them at least four to five months to get to the location where Jesus was. He wasn't in the manger anymore. He was a, a, a toddler by the time that they would have gotten to him. That really doesn't matter because the power of their pursuit was the fact that they accepted that this was something phenomenal. It wasn't just, oh, wow, there's a star, we're going to follow it. They also were not going to lay down all their treasures and lay down six months of their life, actually double that, uh, a year of their life to go and find this person except that they understood that this was someone special. And this was someone who was going to change the world. And that's why they pursued it. And they came to Jerusalem thinking, well, where else would a great king be coming? 
to the capital city, right? But they were redirected to Bethlehem, which is Jesus' way. And it's the way of the Messiah coming to identify with all people on earth and to let everyone know, even the most common, even those who work primarily in stables, that the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming for them. So you have this idea of epiphany being a breaking in of something that's new, a breaking in of something that we've not seen before, a breaking in of a new era. And they accepted this, interestingly, more than many of the people of faith before them who, it was in their prophecies as well, they just did not actually acknowledge it or accept it or receive it. So in the days when Epiphany was a great church feast, it also celebrated the revelation, the other revelations of Jesus. One of the primary ones that at Epiphany that the church would celebrate was his first miracle. His first miracle was changing the water into wine at the, at the wedding in Cana. And that changing of it, that particular miracle was something that was an aha moment. It was a God moment. It was an amazing revelation of here is someone who comes with power. Here is someone who comes with authority direct from God. Here is someone that has the ability to heal and to do miraculous things. But we also see a number of other examples that everything that Jesus did, not just changing water into wine, but the voice of God and the descending uh, dove at his baptism and through the signs of heavens that would be interpreted by the Gentiles. When Peter answered Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? That was an amazing moment because he actually got it right when he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, And Jesus affirmed him for that answer. The meeting of Jesus at the woman at, of the woman at the well, the, the, the time where a woman who was wanting healing simply aspired to, to just touch his garment for healing. Any of those kinds of moments were incredible epiphany moments. They were moments in which the power and the reality of who Christ is becomes real and is opened up and changes lives in the direction that they go. Many people believe that we have passed that era, that epiphany is done, that the era of miracles is done. I don't believe it. The word doesn't teach it. And I'm not going there. And I hope that we can affirm together the power of the living God that is always, always, always wanting to reveal more of himself in every area, in every era, and every time in history. And until Jesus returns and gives the ultimate revelation of victory over this world and and takes his people home, until that day, how do we live with that kind of strong uh, expectation? Now, 
Some of you have had people over in the last few weeks. Um, we have as well. We, we have a little group coming over today. And uh, I woke up this morning to check weather reports and to look outside and to uh, rub my eyes a little bit and to check and make sure and see how the, what was happening with the, with the roads and road conditions and everything. But the thing I heard first when I woke up was the sound of the table scooting. And there is this woman in my house that was scooting things around and preparing. How many of you, when you know you have a group coming over, just say, you know what? There'll be a lot of hands when they arrive. We'll just all do it together, right? Well, I don't have anything in the oven. I don't have anything prepared. But when everybody comes over, we can just cook it all together. We don't tend to do that, right? We arrange the table. We get everything set up. We get the food ready so that when we get home from church, we can have it ready to go. We, we do all of those preparations. Think about the preparations that the Magi had to do to get ready for uh, what would end up being uh, a 10 to 12 month travel uh, back and forth and all of the preparations for that uh, and, and all of the planning. They didn't know exactly where they were going or how long it would take them, but they did all of those preparations. We prepare for that. And that's one of the things that I would point out, that if we're going to expect God to do something in our lives, we're going to expect an epiphanal moment. Uh, Some people say, if we're going to expect or desire to see God epiff in our lives, we we prepare for that. And, and so to just say, well, I'll just sit around and wait for God to work. No, there's a lot of planning and preparation that we can do. We can cultivate more God encounters by being expecting and by looking and by waiting and by preparing. Whether that's for the final coming back of Christ or whether it's simply for an interim time where we encounter God. How many times do we also prepare in the mornings? Most of you know probably more than the, than the Magi did what they were going to encounter on a given day. If you're going to work, how much have you prepared? How much have you prayed before you even go to work for the coworkers that you're working alongside and saying, God, I pray that today you would be revealed in some way to them. How much do we think about that when we go to the grocery store or we go to any store and we're shopping and say, God, is there a way that you could be revealed to someone that I encounter along the way today? How much of you, how many minutes did each of us spend this morning praying, God, When we get to church, would you just reveal yourself in a way that someone draws closer to your love, that someone is healed, that someone is who is experiencing 
a low time in depression or illness? How much have we actually planned for, prepared, and prayed for with an expectation that God is going to do something? Is the message or the songs or the prayers that are delivered, is that going to wow me? Is that going to, 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 to somehow do it for me? Or can I be a part of something that is much bigger? Can I be an agent of preparing for God to be at work and to reveal himself in a new way? It's a very different form in the way that we think about how God reveals himself. We, we don't just sit and wait for it. So how do we live in expectation? Just give you a few ways. One is learn to spend time to look around and watch. Watch for what God is doing. Watch for something that God is working on. And then join in. How can I be helpful? If there's a need that someone has, how can I help that need? If there is someone that seems down, how can I encourage them? If there's someone that has a struggle, whether it's in our Sunday school class or whether it's with our neighbor on Monday afternoon or whether it's someone who's had an accident or who's suddenly in the hospital, how can I Be an agent of revelation of the living Christ to them. How do I look for what God is doing and join in? A second way is to seek the epiphany in God's word. You know, scripture itself says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If that is true, How do I read scripture every single time expecting that something new from Jesus Christ will be revealed to me in reading this scripture? Was there anything in this passage? What is the revelation that God wants to give us? And is it new? Now, I know you don't believe this because we are a a congregation of believing in the word and living in the word, memorizing the word. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, Reminding us that we are all to be memorizing and applying the word to our heart in such a way that, that we don't just read it once. We read it again, and we read it again. And as we are creatures of habit, sometimes it takes 10 readings till all of a sudden something clicks. Aha! How is God wanting me to apply this word to my daily life? And we seek God's word as a lamp and a light. Third, look for ways to reveal Christ to others. Be an epiphany for others. Be an agent of a light bulb turning on. Uh, And again, I've already mentioned many different ways we can we can communicate that to others. Simply to tell someone, I don't have answers for you, but I will pray. I will be in prayer. And I know we are a people of prayer here. And thank you for that. Because every one of those prayers may end up being 
a light that turns on for someone in their time of great need. And the other thing that we see in all of this whole Christmas story is the voice of the Lord who sends his angels to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, to the wise men. Because they didn't just come and worship the Lord. Here's your gifts. Now we're going back to our normal life. They didn't just follow the instruction. They bucked the system. They listened to the voice of God, which communicated to them, don't go back the old way. Go back a different route. And do not be a part of the evil of Herod who wants to murder this particular child, the savior of the world. And they didn't listen and they followed the voice of God's leading. How might we go a different way? It's not about so much always a new thing that God will do for us, but maybe God is calling for something to be done new in us. It's not about always changing our circumstances, but changing our hearts. It's about acknowledging the Christ who has come and giving him our lives and following him all our days. We will meet God in different ways and at different times and places in our lives. The message of of Epiphany is that, that when we stop and we look at who Christ is, why he's come that reflects and reveals to us how deep the Father's love for us. How deep is God's love that he would send his son. When we look at Christ and understand who he is, it changes everything for us. And we're able to recognize the revelation of God. And it's not just a one-time deal. It's that Jesus came not just for Christmas and Epiphany and Easter and Pentecost. He came for our lives every day, every hour. So the message of Epiphany and Easter is that God is not dead. He's not dried out. He's not stuffed into our Bibles somewhere around the Psalms, perhaps, or somewhere in the Old Testament that we hardly ever read. We have a great, great quote a great illustration. It was so important to us that we copied it down years ago and stuck it in our Bibles and it's still in there somewhere. That's not the revelation God intended for us to just be able to say, well, I can always pull that out and be inspired. What about being inspired by the presence of Christ with us today? That God is calling us to something new. Now this after, the, this right after, the, toward the end of the service, we'll be sharing in our first communion of 2024. And this communion is something that we would also say. Is there something that will happen at the moment that you participate in communion today that will be a new revelation of how great is God's love for us through Christ? Is there something that will happen in Sunday school today? Is there something that will happen around the table in your discussions? The message of Epiphany is to keep watch, 
to keep watch and to look for and invite and pray for these revelation encounters to happen again and again and again. Now, my dear brother Doug already mentioned a little card that it was in your boxes. I'll hold it up. And he, uh, he just wonderfully read the whole passage. Awesome job with that. Our verse of the year is, See, I am doing a new thing. You keep that passage near to your heart. Because the new thing that God wants to do in our lives is to reveal himself in more and more and more meaningful ways. Not just for us, but that we actually think of this. The power given to us as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ is to be an epiphany for others. What an incredible opportunity we have to do that. In the uh, new guidepost Christmas treasury, there's a story told of a little girl who wasn't easy to love. Her name was Phyllis. And her Sunday school teacher tells this story about her. She said, Phyllis wasn't an easy child to love. Sometimes I I did wish she wasn't in the particular Sunday school class that I taught. She never sat still. She hated to be touched. And she always had to have the last word. Her teacher tried to give Phyllis a speaking part, but Phyllis refused. I'm probably going to a party that night. This was for their Christmas play. And uh, she said grandly, the teacher said, Lord, please help me love Phyllis. Well, I do have a few more parts if you change your mind, she told Phyllis, just in case. I won't, Phyllis said, and she didn't. At the rehearsal, the teacher heard someone say, and it was Phyllis, Mary doesn't act like she's going to have a baby. And she muttered it in a husky little voice. Phyllis might not have had any desire to be a part of the program, but she wasn't going to miss the rehearsals anyway. And so the teacher said, shh, reaching back to pat Phyllis's hand. And of course, Phyllis jerked it away, saying, okay, okay. In the last scene, only a spotlight shone on the Holy Family, and the children hummed Silent Night. It was beautiful. But who was that moving in front of the manger? This is still at the rehearsal. Phyllis, you have never... uh, Phyllis, you never knew where that child was going to pop up next. Now she stuck her hand in the manger, squeezed the doll's arm, and disappeared back in the shadows. Phyllis, I called, what are you doing up there? I'm just looking, she said. "It's, It's because it's not a baby, it's a doll. I felt it. Lord, please help me love Phyllis. The teacher kept praying. By 6.45, the air was bristling with excitement that night as they were ready for the live play. There was no Phyllis to be seen, and I began to relax. As the organ chimed the beginning of the service, I took my prompter seat in the front pew with the opening strains of Watchmen Tell Us of the Night. The lights came up on the manger scene, and the narrator began. I felt something bump my knee and give a little shove. Move over, muttered an all-too-familiar voice. I decide not to go to the party, and it was Phyllis. The angels sang to the shepherds. The shepherds went to Bethlehem, took, the lamb for the, took a lamb for the baby. The wise men went to see Herod, then to the stable, and Mary sat there, pondered these things in her heart. It was lovely, 
Phyllis sat beside me so quietly I forgot all about her. And when I realized she was gone, it was too late. She stomped her way right up to the manger, just as she had done during rehearsal. But this time she stiffened, awestruck, and then turned, eyes wide with wonder, and came hurrying back to me. He's alive, she said to me in a penetrating whisper. Across the aisle, someone said, what did she say? She said, he's alive. And the teacher said there were like ripples across the whole crowd. What did she say? He's alive. He's alive. And it rippled out. He's alive. He's alive. I put my arm around Phyllis as she sat beside me. And I said to her, you were the best part of the program. And she didn't push me away. She accepted my hand of care. It wasn't part of the program, but it was the best part of the program after all. Here you have this understanding that connects Epiphany, Christmas, and Easter. The fact that Jesus was alive in the manger, he was real, and he came in a very real way to make a difference in our lives. And in the same way, After Jesus was resurrected from the grave, again, it rippled out, not just to an audience. It ripples out even to this day. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. An incredible challenge for us to carry that message. It's greater than the manger. It goes well beyond it. And we're called with everything that we say and everything we do in this year, in the coming months, that we might grow in the discovery of who Jesus is and where he is to be found and how he wants to use us and work through us. As we wind our way through the year, may we continue to pray for the Lord's new thing that he will do. Not that we are perfect, but if we can get up every morning wondering and praying for, God, how will you be revealed in a new way today? What an incredible year this is going to be. Look forward to it, and we're excited and very fitting that we take time to share in communion coming up. I'll have the team come up and reflect once again in this song on who Jesus is to us and that every time that we come before the manger and realize again that Jesus is living, breathing Messiah to us, Emmanuel, God with us, that we might be changed, transformed in order to transform others. Amen. Good morning. We want to thank you for joining us today and welcome you back to join our worship service at any time at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church. We hope that God is and continues to be a strong, encouraging presence in your life. If there are questions, prayer concerns, or any desire that you have to talk with a pastor, we encourage you to contact the church office at 574-862-2595 or email us at info at yellowcreekmc.org. 
We also encourage you to visit our website at yellowcreekmc.org and stay updated with events through our Facebook page at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church. If you are in the Goshen or Elkhart area of northern Indiana, we invite you to join us in person at 64901 Conroe 11, or the brick church building at the northwest corner of Conroe 11 and Conroe 38. Our Sunday morning worship time starts at 9 a.m. Sunday school classes meet for fellowship, study, and discernment following the service at 1030. Wednesday evening classes and activities for all ages are available throughout the year, giving opportunities for growing, fellowship, nurturing, and our biblical faith for adults, children, all involved. So may God bless you today and this week. Our prayers that you feel God's love and presence in your life as he walks with you day by day. Blessings to you.